Welcome to the Station Tapes. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, podcasting from an old train station across the river from Philadelphia. In my day job, I head up the independent label and artist support agency known as Ropadope. In that role, I have the opportunity to interview many of today's great musicians, some well-known names, and some newcomers that have a unique style. The format is casual, yet we dig into the backstory and answer some of the bigger questions about music history and the role of artists in our challenging world. Today I have the great pleasure of connecting with legendary producer and pianist Daniel Weatherspoon, who is about to release his next project titled Journey. The list of Grammy nominations, gold records, and awards is stunning, and Daniel's roster of clients is the same, listing greats Janet Jackson, Beyonce, Fred Hammond, and many more. His 2008 debut, The Langley Park Project, was met with critical acclaim and commercial success. The new album, Journey, set for release worldwide on March 10th, is a soothing and soulful, well, journey, with notable guests from Mark Letiri to P.J. Morton. Mr. Daniel Weatherspoon, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent. I'm glad you had time to, to fit me in your busy world. <laughs> it, is a, it is a busy multitasking world that we all yeah. find ourselves in these days, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You're on the line from D.C. I wonder, I wonder what the mood is down there these days. It's actually, it's a, it's a pretty good mood. You know, it's, a, you know, it's a, always political tension, but the weather is nice. You know, it's, a, mm-hmm. you know. Life is good. Children are in school. You know, everything's moving the way it should move. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, I I want to. I always like to to get context for people okay. who are listening. I think in our world today, all this information is coming at us in you know in in many formats through our devices, and getting getting the story of why. And, and how someone got to this point uh, is, is always of interest to me, and I think to our listeners as well. Uh, born in Chicago and, and, and grew up there? Born and raised, born and raised in Chicago. Um, started young, I got in the piano, uh, maybe 11, 12, you know, I had a, uh, the way I got into music was a little different than most. Um, uh, okay. I had, well, at a at the age of, 11 I found out I had bone disease and I don't share I don't share this a lot but yeah I found out I had bone disease and my goal uh was to play football uh I've been a I'm a I'm a lover of football but one day on the field I uh, I got tackled and couldn't get up anymore and my parents took me to the doctor and found out that my uh my hip had shattered my right hip shattered so for a couple years uh I was the kid with the brace on his leg and crutches and the Mm. the whole bit. So in that season is when I needed an outlet and uh, uh, I couldn't do much physical activity. So the piano uh, was my route. That was my way out, my way of venting, my way of uh, uh, just my way to express. And next thing you know, it became a lifestyle. um, um, but I was born and raised in church and, you know, um, 
my parents, you know, sang a little bit at church. My father played bass a little bit here and there, but it wasn't necessarily a career thing for them. It was just, you know, local activity. And then, um, uh, so yeah, that's how I got into it. And then I, I fell in love with it and went from there into uh, when I eventually could get on my feet well. I went in the uh, marching band early in high school and symphonic band and concert band and jazz trio. And you know, by then I'm, I'm full in at this point. You're in it, yeah. I mean, there, there must have been a, a, a psychic toll at that time. Yeah. Um, were, were you composing already? Or, or like what, what hit you when you were playing the piano that, you know, helped soothe that and helped, helped you work through that? Well, I don't think I actually understood composing at that state, you know. Um, uh, I think it was just uh, training, you know, I kind of just hearing what I hear. You know, I'm, I've always been a fan of Yellow Jackets since day one. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Chick, Corea, Chick Corea back then just was just, you know, those kind of things. Joe Sample, you know, George Duke, those those kind of artists just their 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 music just spoke to me. So I wasn't necessarily starting off with the intentions of being a a producer or artist or a songwriter. I was just trying to duplicate what I heard. You know, I'm if I if I hear a chord, I'm sitting at the piano and just trying to, you know, dissect note for note and lick for lick and you know, yada yada yada. And then over time, it it eventually rolled into, uh, you know, writing ideas and you know so forth. And then you know. You get your first drum machine, you get your first keyboard, you get, you know, then it just starts mm -hmm. building and building and, and then it kind of snowballed at that point, you know. Wonderful. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm always fascinated with the way music helps us through uh, the, the challenges of yeah. the world. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm so in awe and, and I have such respect for musicians who are able to take those struggles that, that we all deal with and, and turn it into something that is positive, joyful, uh, and, and, and sometimes reflective. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity to listen to um, <clears throat> your debut record, uh, you know, back to back with this new record. And I, I'm... I find it to be more, um, I don't know, pensive or, or, or maybe moodier. Yeah. Can you, can you describe the process in making both of those and, and, and well, what uh, with this record? Yeah, well, there's the story between the two. Um, there's a different story between the two. And, and I, again, um, you're, you're, you're dead on when you say how music is that channel, you know, how people use it to, um, you know, to, you know, to release and, you know, get the thoughts out. The last album, the Langley Park album, uh, well, as, you, as, as stated, I was born and raised in Chicago, and then I was there maybe 30 years, 35 years or so. And then we left, um, got married, and we moved to Nashville for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, then moved here to D.C. My wife's originally from D.C., so uh, at this point, we're getting close to having, uh, right at the end of being in Nashville, we got pregnant when I third child so we decided to come here because her family is massive you know it's a ton of aunties and cousins and her parents so we came here to just kind of um ease that load off of her uh and the first house uh we moved into here was on a street called boston avenue which is the opening song for the langley park record 
Um, so, you know, every, every song kind of has a journey, has a story to it. Um, East West Highway is a local road uh, that we use to go back and forth to church or go to the son's, our kid's school or Old Town is the neighborhood right around the corner where we go get pizza. And so everything is kind of, you know, written around, you know, Langley Park is the actual neighborhood we live in and still live in to this day. Gotcha. So everything was kind of written around just the, my lifestyle, you know, I named the songs after my lifestyle, and yada, yada, yada. I did a couple covers on the record, but other than that, everything was more um, just based off, off of my surroundings. Even a song called Tacoma Station, Tacoma Station is a, is a local club here, a local jazz club, which happens to be the first place I got to perform in DC uh, with my music. So it was that. And then you know, we went on the road a couple of years and, you know, I'm an indie artist. So, you know, everybody's story is generally the same when it's on the indie circuit. You know, you're you're working the market and you're trying to find what cities will receive you well. And you're playing the good rooms, you're playing the empty rooms and you're driving and you're spending your own money just to break your brand. And <laughs> so we, I went through all that, that whole phase for a couple of years. Uh, and then uh, last year or like toward the end of, Right at the, maybe the end of 2018, going into 19, I decided I wanted to do a new, a new record. So I started writing in maybe in May of last year, March or May, uh, March, April, May, I started tracking. And right in the middle of tracking the record, I broke my hand. Oh boy. Yeah, I, uh, I broke my hand on a show day. I had a show in Akron, Ohio, it was May the May 31st, May 30th, May 31st, end of May. Mm -hmm. And uh, I fell and landed on my hand and broke broke my hand in three places. Wow. So for pianists, uh, of course, that's just, yeah. push, but I, I didn't realize it was broken. I thought I just dislocated my finger. So, you know, if I can tell the weird story behind it, uh, my band was here at my house. We had to go to Akron for a show that night. And uh, we were silly enough to just go to Walgreens and get one of the little hand wraps because I didn't think it was, I didn't actually know it was broken. I just thought I- The show must go on. <laughs> you know, and we went, we literally went to Akron. We did a whole show, um, maybe about a, a song and a half into the show. Uh, I had to tell the audience, I said, Yo, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, we were at a place called Blue Jazz in Akron, Ohio. and. Uh, and I played the next 50 minutes with only my right hand. I literally had my left hand either down by my side or behind my back. And it's just getting worse and worse. And I feel the pain. And as soon as the show was over, I asked the, the manager, I said, you know, where's the, the nearest hospital? And he said, you're, you're literally a mile, a half a mile from the best hospital in town. And my, my band drove me to the vent, to the hospital. Uh, we got x-rays, doctor came back and said, your hand is broken three places and you're going to be down for two to four months. Wow. And um, it just, that just shattered everything. And I had to drive home uh, from Akron back to DC uh, and they only wrapped it. She wouldn't, she wouldn't cast it. She wouldn't do anything uh, and she wouldn't do the surgery because she wanted me to get home. Mm -hmm. and get it done back at home. So I had to come all the way back home with just a wrap on a completely broken hand. So after about four weeks, you know, um, 
four weeks, you know, I'm going back. I had the surgery and they had to put pins and a, and a steel plate in my left hand, which is still here. It's permanent. Uh, and then I just started rewriting the record. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, and then so stories, the theme of the album, the story of the album started changing. It became way more emotional yes. uh, than the first record did. So the new album opens with a song called uh, Trio. Uh, and I named the trio because uh, the second year of the tour, uh, I had to start going out with a three piece because I've, again, I'm eating all of the overhead and you know, I'm doing door deals. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing whatever I got to do to push, you know, I'm doing it the way it was done uh -huh. 30 years ago. You know, I'm doing whatever, it, whatever it takes to play in the, they just give me a night, let my band come, you know, I'm just, I'm not looking at profit. I'm just looking at, I got to do this for myself because I didn't have management. Uh, I didn't have too many people that wanted to take a risk on it yet because, you know, it's just, I'm, to them, I'm just another indie artist. You know, I'm just, you know, so I'm doing whatever I can do to build the brand. And, you know, after a couple of months, I went back in the studio and I started working again. And I said, okay, I think the Reddy's album's ready to come out by November. And then maybe a month or two before that, I was like, this just, it just doesn't, it doesn't really speak me. So uh, being a producer over the years and being, you know, blessed to do a lot of things, um, I use these two albums as a way for me to finally tell my own story. Mm. And it, I feel like it's in every song, you know. Uh, it is a little moodier than the, than the Langley Park record, the new album, but um, uh, I feel like it's relatable. Uh, I feel like people can understand the stories and the themes behind the songs. And uh, it's it's a very personal record. And, and people that follow me and, you know, my followers and uh, my day ones, the, you know, the fans and, you know, the people that's been a support, they they will really get it because they, they followed the whole journey from uh, breaking my hand to trying to produce a record mm -hmm. to releasing a video to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shooting all shots you know, because I believe in it that much. And I feel like at this age and at this place in my career, uh, I have to go all in for myself at some point. And, uh, that's, and that's where I stand. I'm really glad you shared that because, because I think even if it's, it's nice that people can hear the story on the, on this podcast, but, but also I think that um, it's very relatable even, even without that story. You know, we, we all have, uh, struggle. Uh, we all have tons of introspection, and this is a really comfortable recording to kind of just chill to and 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 reflect. And you can feel that. that Thank you. That, that introspection. I want to ask you about. Uh, the, uh, I think it's the second track. Uh, Change the world. Yeah. Um, you led me on a on, on a on a research case on this one, and I wonder if you know the history. Um, a lot of people know this song from uh, Eric Clapton, but mm -hmm. looking at the writers, uh, Tommy Sims, Gordon Kennedy, and Wayne Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Nashville Cats. Yeah, the session guys that that wrote yeah. this song. Well, well, there's a story behind "Change the World" that you know um, most may not actually know. Uh, now, Tommy, um, Tommy's been a good friend of mine for years, maybe 20 years. And, and, if, uh, and if people don't, you know, I don't know who, how many people wouldn't be familiar with Tommy, but if you're not familiar with Tommy, you know, he's, he's been with Bruce Springsteen and he's just, you know, he produced some of the CC Wine's biggest records and just a ton mm -hmm. of records here and there. And, uh, 
uh, you know, he's the one behind No Diggity for Black Street that Teddy Riley did. And he told me the whole story of how he created that. And then Teddy Riley called him one day and heard his sketch on his voicemail at his answering machine. And then they connected and like how, how all of that went. But the original, original version of Change the World has a completely different set of lyrics. The, the original version that Tommy wrote uh, had a completely different story. The chorus is the same, but both verses have a completely different lyric. He pitched his version to Babyface, actually. Babyface pitched it to Eric Clapton, but they didn't like the verses. They felt the verses were too personal. So the verses that Eric Clapton and Babyface did on the duet were rewrites, which is the version that everyone knows because that's the one that you know went across the world. So, um, so that's how I feel. From what I'm told, that's how the other two writers got involved because they had to rewrite the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and which version? Which version do you do? I didn't. I didn't well, dig in that far. Yeah, it's it's the current version. It's the it's the okay. it's the it's the version that Eric did. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's the lyrics from that version. But uh, I actually got to hear Tommy in Nashville at a writers' round uh, perform the original lyrics, and it's unreal. You know, it was just him, an acoustic guitar, a microphone, and then he sang the original version, and then turned around and did the wow the released version and it's two completely different storylines two completely different storylines but he's never released it so um yeah i did a cover of that and i was blessed to get my good friend pj morton is on it uh leon timbo is on it um uh and it's the second track on the record and i think it's uh we let it go we let it go for about six or seven minutes on there you know as yeah you know i was, I was at the point where I was like we need to chop this down about four minutes i said no nah, we'll let that We'll, we'll cross that bridge when it's time to cross it. But right, we, right, right. You know, we just, you know, left a minute long intro on it and the whole band, it's just full on, you know. Uh, we I do the song in my show and it gets re received very well. So uh, I decided to record it. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and, I, and I think, it, you know, speaking of reflection and speaking of the world that we live in right now, it, it's very timely. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about some other vocalists that are listing the credits right here. Um, I think I already know the answer, but uh, Tiffany Weatherspoon, Carter Weatherspoon, <laughs> Weatherspoon are listed in the credits. I assume yeah. those are your children. My wife is Tiffany. Your wife, uh, Carter, and, Carter and uh, Lincoln are my two boys. Wow. Um, there's another one on there, Grace and Rogers, who happens to be my four-year-old nephew. There was a song um, I was working on, and I tracked most of the record. Uh, at a studio not too far from here, but all my post-production and editing I did at home, but I also track at home as well. Uh, and um, I was working on a piece and uh, my son was just, uh, have, he has a, a drum set, a small you know starter kit that he, we got him for Christmas. And I was playing a song, working on some keyboard parts and I, he was over in the, in the corner, just clapping his hands to like the rhythm. And I was like, we should put that in there. So I literally plugged up the mic. He stood behind the mic, put his earphones on, and he's smiling, and he doesn't really understand what's going on. So he started clapping and doing some finger snaps. Then my other son came down the stairs and said, what y'all doing? I want to get on it. And next thing you know, literally, before we knew it, my wife was playing tambourine, and she's behind the mic with the tambourine, and we just filtered all of it into the record. And um, 
my nephew Grayson is over, who's actually studying drums. Um, he had his sticks and he was beating on the couch and I was like, you know, pull the drum over and I put a mat on it and put the mic on the, on the floor time and he played some drum rhythm for about four bars. I threw it in and flew it through the song. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, um, Beautiful. yeah, I didn't just stick them on there just to get their name in the industry, but they literally took the time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It's a family yeah, affair. Yeah. And, one of the, and one of the benefits of a home studio, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, want, I want to say to all the indie artists out there, uh, when when Daniel Weatherspoon says home studio, I, I think it's a little different than your average home studio. I think it's a little more sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of stuff down there. Yeah, it's a lot of accumulated, accumulated things, but yeah. You list, uh, you know, a, a, a quote here uh, to start off your materials, um, which is a loose translation, I guess, from... Uh, I believe Lao Tzu, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first. Absolutely. And uh, I've seen it translated as the journey of a thousand miles begins under your feet. But, uh, you know, that's a powerful statement. And, and, and I think it, it speaks to what you're trying to say here. But I'd like to hear in your words, you know, what, what is what are you trying to communicate with this uh, with this quote and then and therefore the music? Yeah, well, uh, I'm, that's, I'm, that's, that's wonderful that you pointed that out. Um, I feel like I had to start completely over when I hit the artist, when the bug really, really, really wow. hit me. Um, because, uh, I mean, again, I started young. You know, I was 12, 13 when I really began the, into piano and uh, so forth. And by the time, you know, and I'm, I'm full in, by the time I was a junior in high school, I think I was playing on the first record. You know, it, it moved really fast, you know, and it was local, it, it wasn't, you know, a national artist. It, just, it could be somebody around town just saying, hey man, I'm, you know, and they might've sold three copies for all I know, you know, but it was just, it just went from that to the next one, to the next one and to, mm -hmm. hey, uh, hey, uh, you wanna go do this? And then I think the first thing that I got a call for, uh, that was uh, national was I, I got called to play for Yolanda Adams. Uh, mm -hmm. And this was before she was Yolanda Adams, like the world that Yolanda Adams, but you know, and then it turned into something else. It turned into something else. And then it, uh, I grew up, me and Carl Thomas, which is the R&B singer that was signed to Puff, uh, Bad Boy, we grew up together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were in church together. And then when he got his deal, you know, I was playing with him a little bit. And then, you know, uh, one thing went to Donna Lawrence, then it went to the Clark sisters, then it went to Fred Hammond, then it went to BB and CeCe Wines, then it went to the, you know, it just went to Beyonce and stuff. It just started going. I didn't necessarily have a plan, but things got, you know, I took music serious. So, uh, and people appreciated it. And I, 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 I built my own tone, my own sound. And I did it for 25 years or so. And, you know, and I'm, I'm right at, I'm almost 50 now. So a few years back, uh, I was like, I'm going to, I just, I've done so many records and I've done so many tours, but I just had this, this, this knife in my side that kept saying, I refuse to die mm. as someone who's just known for making other people sound good. For other people's work, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and much respect to those musicians that, uh, that like did all of those Motown records and different things and so on and so on. And it was like, I feel like they had more to say than that, except for just being known as the bass player on a 
Motown record or, you know, I feel like I feel like I was starting to get into that space because I was valuable to people because I knew how to make them sound better. I knew how to arrange their songs and help them do this. And, you know, um, you know, they're getting awards and yada, yada, yada and so forth. And after a point, it was like, I have to speak something for myself. I had to do it. So I dropped the Langley Park record. And then it hurt me. And I don't know, uh, maybe there'll be some people that might relate to this, is 80%, and I'm not bitter about it, but it, it hurt for a while, but I mean, I'm, I'm way past it now, but mm-hmm. 80 to 90% of artists that I poured a lot into over years and did records for pennies and, you know, did very low budget tours and low budget recordings and they would come to my house and eat and hang out at the barbecues and we're doing their records. I, I don't think I got support. When I crossed into the artist realm, I mm-hmm. lost all of that. Like, gotcha. you know, uh, I just didn't get the, hey, Daniel, you've been there for me. We're going to be there for you. I didn't get that, you know, and yeah. I didn't get that at all. So I felt like I literally started over. Uh, yeah. So the journey is uh, I started out, I put the record out and then, this being a standard for doing records, I had to do it the right way. You know, I had to use the right room with the right mics and the right guys and the right engineer and the right master in person and the yada, yada, yada. And so, I mean, because of just doing records, I had to keep it that high for myself. Right. And then I went on the road and traveled, yada, yada. And people, it turned into, uh, people would reach out to me and say, Daniel, you're, 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 you're inspiring us or you're, you're, you're a trailblazer, even though it's been done before, but mm-hmm. people in my world that had a connection to me didn't see anybody else doing it in their immediate circle. Mm-hmm. So for me to do it, it turned into that, you know, and I lost a lot of money. I made money here and there. I, you know, I changed attorneys and I went to it and band members change or this change and so forth. And every day, you know, from year one to now year three, it just got better and it's getting better and better. And I'm, I'm here to do more than uh, my ultimate goal. Yes. would be to tour the world and share my music all over the place and do all of that. But at the same time, I want to remind people that you gotta, you gotta put the work in, you gotta take the journey, you gotta take the steps and Mm -hmm. you know, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere. You gotta surround yourself with people that are going to tell you when you sound great and tell you when you're making a bad choice. You know, you gotta, so every step makes it further along. So where I am now, I can turn around and look at the day the album came out and say, we've grown so much farther than that. You know, I have a long way to go. I still don't have that um, big machine behind me to help push. I still don't have, you know, the overseas booking agent yet and all of this stuff. You know, there's still so many things I want to accomplish, but, Mm -hmm you know, you have to walk it, you have to live it, you have to do it. And um, a lot of people miss that. A lot of people think, hey, social media, if I got 50,000 followers on social media, that means I'm a star. And it just really doesn't work that way. You know, it just, uh, if I, you know, go sing at a party and I just hope, I'm gonna just keep chipping and just hope that some Dr. Dre or, you know, Mike League or, you know, Quincy Jones or somebody that's going to be at my, and it doesn't always work out that easy for everyone. So you literally have to take it step by step by step, rebuild, rebrand, rethink, look at what you did wrong, 
move forward, move forward, move forward. And that's my journey. You know, mm -hmm. um, I've been through a lot from putting out these two records. Well, the second one comes out tomorrow, but you know, um, uh, it's been a lot, you know, it's been a lot of days gone. It's been a lot of days maxing out a credit card. It's been a lot of days sharing rooms. It's been a lot of days with a broke hand trying to finish a record and delaying it and delaying it and delaying it. But it all comes through my story. And uh, that's, that's why I believe in that, that, uh, that statement so much, you know, it, it you know, it, it takes every step to get, to get there. Yeah. And you know, I admire you taking that first step and, and, you know, the, the things you're saying are not, you know, we're not strangers to it here at Ropadope. Um, I want to speak real quickly to the comment about people supporting you. I, you know, this business is interesting and we struggle with it. We were just talking about it here in the office this morning. Um, we're, we're sitting inside of a different system, right? Yeah. System of uh, creating music and making a living for some reason is all caught up in uh, big money and a certain method. Uh, and it perplexes me uh, both from an industry side. I mean, it's easier from an industry side because I get it. You know, there are people who, People, people change a little bit when they make money and they're around different people who are, are talking about different things. Uh, so their perspective changes. Uh, and yet, you know, music still is and always in, in my impression will be those people that are hearing it and they're compelled to get out and get and get their music out and go and do the work, you know? And so we, we struggle, we understand and struggle every day with that same concept of, of supporting independent artists uh, because that's the source, right? That, you know, yeah. not, you know, you've done both sides, right? You've, you've packaged it up for people uh, and helped them sound better for the market. Right. And yet yeah. you are saying, I have this voice inside me, this, this thing I'm hearing that I want to get out. Um, so I hope that, uh, you know, as humans move forward, that we can find some kind of balance in that process so that it's a little bit easier. So that journey is a little bit easier uh, for those like yourself who are, who are hearing this and expressing it, because that's where the true creativity is, in my opinion. Um, I want to uh, wrap up. I want to say uh, it's nice to see and hear uh, Mark Letiri on this record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Big fan of Mark, obviously, uh, and I, and I want to remind people that uh, March the 10th, uh, Journey by Daniel Weatherspoon is out everywhere, and that uh, information can be easily found at DanielWeatherspoon.com. Yeah, it's and, right there. Uh, and on, on every platform, and you'll see uh, on both 21 Soul and Rope It Oak, uh, video and audio, uh, to, uh, to, to dig into Daniel's world. Thank you so much for doing what you do. Thank you. sharing your story with us. I appreciate you. I'm humbled by it, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul, and you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances, and you can find that on YouTube at Ropadope99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. 
And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you.